Welcome to the New Age Sage podcast. Today's guest is Melissa Kupsch. She is a homeopathist who combines quantum physics and biology to teach you about what your body needs to be healthy. She exposes the nefarious agendas of the big pharma cartel and what we actually need to be taking to heal ourselves. I hope you enjoy it. I learned so much personally. Please leave a review if you liked it. Enjoy. Thank you so much. Melissa, I'm going to start with a topic that I think we all need to hear about. So we're we're currently experiencing a fertility crisis. You know, sperm counts are, are I think, have been pl- gone down by sixty around sixty percent in fifty years. What's going on here? Why is that the case? Firstly, and then what can we actually do about it for all of ourselves listening to become more fertile? So yeah, it's definitely an issue. I don't know if you've seen it, but if you Google now sperm counts twenty forty five, it literally the first thing that comes up Google will tell you we're on a trajectory for sperm counts to reach zero by 2045. So it's should be alarming to literally everyone. And it's sort of like the elephant in the room. Like we sort of know it's an issue, but people just don't realize what a big issue it is. So we're so distracted with other things. But why? I think scientists tend to agree it's toxicity sort of in the world that we're living in. We're living so out of sync with nature. So we've got what we're eating, what we're absorbing, what's, you know, sprayed on everything, Um, all of the toxicity that our bodies just can't keep up with. So that definitely impacts sperm. Then it's the hormonal things, you know, people talk about like so many women on the oral contraceptive pill that's flushed into the toilets, things are recycled, people are drinking water that is really altering our hormone levels. So it's men and women, absolutely. It's almost an even split these days. Like historically, women tend to think that they're the problem, but now we're seeing it's like really par on par. We're equally equally struggling and, yeah, just chronic health conditions. And what I would say is it's as if this generation, our generation that's trying to have children right now, we are seeing it more than ever before, and it's because a lot of the time it's what was done in the generations before, you know, there was a lot of pharmaceutical use, a lot of suppression. The bodies were already getting unhealthy, but it wasn't as noticed. And it's now, you know, in us trying to have children now, a lot of us were on the oral contraceptive pill, have done all sorts of things to our bodies. And yeah, we're just not actually healthy enough to be making babies. And they've sort of projected that by 2045, you know, obviously the sperm count is going to be down, but at the very least, they're sort of expecting that at some point everybody is going to need reproductive technologies like IVF, which is super alarming and it's 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 already bad. So, yeah. So what are some of the key contributors you'd say? Like, like um, is it plastic? Uh, is it the water? Like what are the, if you could pinpoint like three or four things that we use in our everyday lives that contribute to this lack of fertility, what would you... What were the main culprits? Definitely the the plastics, the endocrine disruptors. They are like a well-known one, Um, those BPA-type things. I would say heavy metals are disastrous. Um, Aluminium, mercury, all of these things that are finding their way into our bloodstream. Um, It's, you know, even insofar as the things like glyphosate and the pesticides and all of the things that are so damaging to our guts... I mean, from our gut, our immune system, you know, and the hormonal function, all of that really stems. And so even things as like seemingly insignificant as the pesticides um, are so very toxic. And then I would say another big contributing factor, our light diet. How much red light are we, you know, getting through our eyes versus the blue light? So the increase in screens has had a big impact on our hormones and therefore our fertility. So in regards to like how much does light impact our fertility, two of the biggest um, like groups of people that I see in clinic is flight attendants for infertility and nurses. Now, the reason is that both of them often work out of sync with their circadian rhythm. They'll work at night under these fluoro lights. The body is so confused about what hormones it's meant to be producing. And that historically is, you know, that's how our body knows, like, what should I be producing when? We wake up in the morning, we would see the sunlight, And, you know, you see a lot of people these days talking about the importance of red light, seeing the sunlight in the morning, but it really is. In my opinion, 
your light diet, how much red light you're getting in is even more important than the actual food that you are eating. And that's a big call. Everybody goes towards the food, but the light is extremely important when we're talking about hormones. You can just destroy your hormonal cascades. If you're on your phone first thing in the morning, that bright blue light in your eyes, at night when the sun goes down, you're on that. Your body doesn't know where it is in space-time and what hormones it should be producing when. It doesn't know how to rejuvenate overnight if you've not set up that hormonal cascade. So that's another big factor in ways that we're just living so out of sync and just stress levels these days are so high. People are so stressed. Um, And it's just not, your body's not going to prioritise reproduction when you're so stressed, the body goes, no, this is not a good time to have a baby. Don't do that. So lay it out for me. What, what is a correct healthy light diet? Like run me through a routine for the average person that you'd recommend to have a healthy light diet. And then also what is an unhealthy routine for someone to have an unhealthy light diet? Yeah, light. So first thing in the morning, if you can wake up, don't reach for a screen. Don't even flick the light on. If you can, just go outside and see sort of the sunrise. You don't have to actually, if you live in suburbia where you can't actually see it rising, even just being outside, all that refractory sort of light, that'll be absorbed. And so it goes in through the retina in the eyeballs and actually triggers a hormonal cascade. It pretty much says, all right, we're up, sun's coming up, everyone get going, you know, release all these hormones. Then throughout the day, the goal should be spend as much time as you can outdoors without getting sunburned. So you don't want to be necessarily in like the direct sunlight. If you can even crack windows and work by the windows and let that light in, um, that is really ideal. Now, if you are on screens a lot, let's say like us, we work here, using blue blockers can be really beneficial. Everybody sort of talks about them trying to block that blue light into the eyes. And then in the afternoon, you sort of just want to be mindful of trying to get that outdoor light again, because what happens then is that red light in the sunset, it actually triggers the release of melatonin and all of these hormones that overnight um, are going to put you into a deep restful sleep where you can actually rejuvenate overnight. Now, if we don't get that and we're staying on our blue screens up until, you know, we fall asleep, we do not get the full regenerative benefit of sleep. So one thing that I try to do is when I am on my laptop or I'm, you know, working, I try to do it oftentimes in the sun or right next to you just to sort of mitigate the effects because we can't be perfect. And if we stress about trying to be perfect, that is, you know, that's another thing in itself. How many stress hormones do you want to release trying to be perfect? But yeah, that would be sort of the goal. As much time outside, bare feet on the ground, these things to people, you know, they, they, want to hear like of this magic drug or this like magic supplement or even for me like the magical homeopathic remedy and as powerful as some of these things are they are not as powerful as living in sync with nature we are human beings we come from nature we are a part of it we are meant to have our feet on the ground and be connected and be absorbing that sunlight it's that electromagnetic radiation powers up our cells that really it is so important what else would you recommend in terms of uh, getting back in touch with nature? Is it just a matter of looking at the sun and then getting our feet in the ground? What else is, is hindering our ability to be natural beings? I mean, they've even done studies where the human being, when they hear like the natural birds calling and sort of the crickets and the sounds in nature, that it like releases this relaxing biochemistry. So, you know, if we just go back like a couple of generations, it's like that was so much more normal for us to be outside and absorbed in these sort of um, spheres. So in getting back to nature, I'd be observing the circadian rhythm, get up with the sun, go to bed with the sun, try not to eat after the sun goes down. That's also another thing that our ancestors wouldn't have done. You know, they probably sat by the fire, have your dinner, then your body can actually heal overnight. Most of us, you know, uh, sometimes watching a movie and eating up until like nine o'clock at night, the body's like digesting all night. It doesn't have time to like replenish and heal. It's like still digesting. So I would do that. Um, yeah, feet on the ground, hands in the soil, any opportunity that you get. If you have animals, um, you know, also really good, like just for your health, building up good bacteria. Um, yeah. And staying away from the things that are more artificial and more toxic. Um, yeah, just as much as possible. That's great. I, I appreciate it. So I want to turn a little bit now into 
homeopathy, that's your expertise. And the reason I, I was curious in talking to you was that, you know, as, as a kid, it did, it did save my life. Um, so how does, I can't pronounce it right, homeopathy, how does it actually work? Um, and yeah. you, you label it in doing research, you label it as a medicine of the spirit. So first, I'll, first I'll let you go into what is homeopathy and how is it medicine of the spirit? Yeah. Okay, so what is homeopathy? I think I explain it differently every time somebody asks me, but it is an energetic system of medicine. So if we were to compare it, you look at acupuncture, we are using needles that stimulate the flow of energy down meridian lines, and it is that energy that then triggers the healing response. Now, homeopathy is just like 10,000 times stronger. It is targeted um, energetic stimulation. Now, If you break down what the human being is, like our cells, our organs, you break it down to the subatomic particles. When you get to the smallest fundamental level, you are going to see that we are humming, vibrating energy. It is more of, you know, a vibrational footprint that then goes on to make the physical matter. So it makes sense when we are looking at medicine that we could treat the human being on that fundamental energetic layer, that real root And it's then that we see the tissues and the pathology start to change. Now, a lot of like people would be familiar with, you know, the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, you know, where it's like the mind is able to correct these frequencies. What I would say with homeopathy is it's just deeper, it's quicker, it's more profound. And some people are not actually aware of the energetic circuits that actually flow through their body. Now, we inherit from our parents um, these energetic blueprints. When the sperm reaches the egg, let's say that's our parents, when you look under the microscope, you see this little blast of light. It is an energetic, you know, blast there. They call it the zinc spark. Now, from there, this little baby is knit together according to this divine blueprint. And, you know, tissue is formed out of nothing other than that energetic blueprint. Now, when we are born, people tend to sort of forget that we have this divine intelligence, you know, that knits us together, that is constantly trying to heal, keep us safe, keep us balanced. And, you know, a lot of people start to treat the human body more like a machine and sometimes, you know, a broken, faulty machine at that. And that's just not the case. Every symptom that the body is pumping out is its way of trying to recalibrate and regain a bit of balance. Now, what happens when we have a really sick parent who conceives a child? Of course, that energetic blueprint is going to be sort of inherited to an extent and that child's going to manifest the same sort of pathology. So I don't know if in your family, you know, the asthma, hay fever, allergies, whether somebody else had that or whether there was a toxic stimulus that kicked that off, but When you map out somebody's uh, case history, you can always pretty much see, right, where has this disease pathology sort of grown from? What happened prior? What was happening coming down family lines? And when you observe the family lines, it is very telling as to the energy that somebody has inherited. And now that is in the mental sphere, the emotional sphere, and the physical sphere. And altogether, you know, we are we are spirits really in these human bodies. And so yeah. you want to tend to the spirit um, first, in my opinion. Uh, it's amazing you're telling me this. Now I'm having this, I've had in the past week this new awakening. I've had these various stages of spiritual awakening. I don't know how open you are to this stuff, but the thing I've been being shown <laughs> late, recently is that, this is what you're saying, that we're basically all just None of this is real. I mean, it's real. Like we feel emotions and stuff, but it's all just uh, a vibrating dream of sorts that it's just this flowing energy blobs going around. But I'm at, going into and asking this now is that I agree with you, right? We're, we're downloading this kind of like code or this predestined body and energy when we incarnate into this reality. If that comes with, like me, a ton of generational stuff, a, a ton of traumatic uh, lines of abuse and sexual abuse, all these things from my, my, my ancestors, how can we undo that? Right? A lot of my work has been in, you know, undoing my karma, my family's karma, all that kind of stuff. I have my own logical answer, but I'm curious from a, from a, your lens and a homeopathic lens. How can mm-hmm. we clear ourselves of the downloaded like a generational blueprints that don't serve us in the present moment? Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. So absolutely agree. Everything that we are seeing and perceiving, it is all vibrational at its core, right? And so emanating from the human being, and I mean, not just in our health, 
but in all of the situations that come into our life. It is a vibrational pattern that brings things into our life. So this is something I go over with all of my patients. And so if they say to me, every boyfriend I've ever had has cheated on me, like all eight of them, it's just, you know, something. And it is a vibrational pattern and a loop that this person has going. And it's looking at, you know, from a homeopathic perspective, all right, we just need to rewire that vibration. And it almost is like recoding, recoding what we are creating in this universe. If people, it helps a lot of people to look at it, you know, through the lens of simulation theory, but it's just, we just need to rewire that pattern and it will not happen anymore. So when it comes to, you know, and and on the very surface level, people look at it, it's like it's the, the law of attraction, but it is a vibrational attraction. And I see this with all of my patients. It is unbelievable. And now once you alter that, you can really see the elevation of it really quickly. And whether that is in wealth, you know, if somebody grew up with no money in their family, they're probably going to have a very poor vibration in terms of what they attract in regards to wealth and abundance, that sort of thing. Relationships, if you witnessed tumultuous relationships or lack, you know, just a lack of relationships, all of these things will play into it most likely in that individual. Not always because we're all unique and have our own vibrational pattern, but it's more common that we inherit these issues. Now, with homeopathy, the goal of it is to look at the whole human being. Let's say I'm looking at you and you tell me all of your family history. You tell me your mum was sexually abused when she was young and you know, and we do know these days, the science shows us that in mice, I'm not sure if you've seen the studies in mice, if you expose a mouse to the scent of a cherry blossom, you let them smell it, then you electroshock them, and then you let them smell it again and you electroshock them and you let them smell it again and you totally traumatize them. You get the mouse to a point where they smell the cherry blossom and they're immediately erratic. They know what's coming. They're totally traumatized. They've done the studies then that the offspring of those mice who were never, ever electroshocked, when they smell the scent of cherry blossom, they go into a frenzy. They already know it's in their, you know, energetics that they have inherited that intelligence. The same goes, of course, for human beings and up to multiple generations, unfortunately. So for good and for bad, you know, we inherit a lot of good things down our family lines as well. But what I would be looking to do then is find a vibration from nature. So all homeopathic remedies are made from either a plant, an animal or a mineral substance. So there are vi- everything in nature vibrates. Every plant has its own signature vibration. Now the homeopath cultivates that and we make them in pharmacies in order to be used to stimulate the human being's vibration. Now what the doctor who founded homeopathy was, so He's a German medical physician, traditionally trained doctor 200 years ago. And what he found is that when you use a tiny amount of the energetic stimulus, you can cure within the person if they have the same resonance of the distortion of the energy. So let's say with, um, you know, a good example. So it's like cures like is the principle that Samuel Hahnemann found. So in making a homeopathic remedy, we'll go with arsenicum album. This is a remedy that, you know, is used for gastro symptoms, vomiting and diarrhea. Now it's made from the substance arsenic, which everyone knows is a poison. Now, if somebody was to drink pure arsenic, what symptoms would you have? Vomiting and diarrhea. It's a poison. Your body's going to try and get it out as quickly as it can. Now in a human being who has gastro symptoms, maybe they've got food poisoning, and they've got vomiting and diarrhea, when you take the homeopathic version of arsenic, like cures like. So all of the people that I give arsenic amalgam to, homeopathic arsenic, their vomiting and diarrhea stops. So it is that feature of the homeopathics where you are going to harness a vibration from nature that the person needs to like cures like, recalibrate the vibrational field, then the physical pathology completely changes. You can do that across the board. You can do that with gastro. You can do that with eczema, asthma, hay fever, allergies, sexual trauma, financial, you know, lack mentality. And this is where homeopathy is so crazy. And we talk about it being medicine of the spirit because it is all of these things that encompass a healthy, thriving human being. And there is no drug on earth that can really help people elevate their vibration the way that homeopathy can trigger that self-healing mechanism. So well, can you can you give me a a client example of you recoding them? 
like a, like a, a success case where you've gone into someone having some sort of limiting download in their body, you're going through something and you've gone in there and the specific strategy you use to heal them. Okay. I'll give you the most common one. And it's the one that got me into homeopathy in the first place. So I come from, I was training to be a naturopath. My dad is a doctor. I love health medicine. I just preferred the natural side, but Mm -hmm. I had a family member who was very, very sick in and out of hospital, just years upon years. Dad had tried everything, you know, medical minded to fix it. And there was nothing. They just said, you need to be on antibiotics every day for the rest of your life. Now, the issue was recurrent urinary tract infections that would get into the blood. They'd be on an oxygen machine um, and it was just really traumatizing. So the issue in that, um, when we actually got her to see a homeopath, um, then I was very skeptical that this could work. After all, he just gave her drops to take under the tongue. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Like she's in and out of hospital. We need like serious like intervention here. And he's like, no, take this twice a day. Um, the issue that it was routed in. So with the urinary tract and the genitourinary system, when a woman has a history of trauma, the human body, the human spirit is so intelligent that, you know, it sort of does it like a protective mechanism with the urinary organs and it's like no not having sex keep that away and it's like um, the trauma is stored in those organs of course now there are many women out there who have a history of abuse who are experiencing these recurrent symptoms and they get sick they'll take the antibiotics it'll come back the next month antibiotics next month and overall you know their system gets weaker now this, um, so it was my sister actually who needed it. She took this homeopathic remedy called Staphysagria. Now, when she started taking that, it she started to have all of these shifts and changes almost immediately. By this point, she was like completely bladder incontinent, um, you know, couldn't even have a full-time job. We're in our early 20s. We're only a year apart. So we're like almost twins. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she is just completely, her body is just failing. Um, and she started taking these frequency drops which really what it did was more than anything, it let go of all of the resentment and the anger and the toxicity from within her body that she was holding in that region. From there, she never had another urinary tract infection again, never went back to hospital with it. So we're recalibrating those energetic fields. Now, I have seen that in clinic more times than I could possibly count. When I actually have somebody come to me, whether it's for fertility or whatever they come from, if they say, oh, one thing is that I get, you know, urinary tract infections all the time and it will flag with me and I will ask them sort of outright, if they haven't told me throughout the consult, at the end of it, I would just say, look, it's extremely common in situations like this that there is a history of abuse. Is there anything you know, in that sphere for you, um, you know, that you can tell me about. And nine times out of 10, they'll say, actually, yeah, you know, this happened. And, um, you know, but and they'll say, oh, but it doesn't affect me anymore or I've forgotten about it. But the body oftentimes doesn't forget. That energy is still there and that's what we need to budge and move. So there's that element. But then what, you know, what I really love treating in clinic is when people have inherited these issues. So let's say one that's really common and it's like the syphilitic miasm. So in the syphilitic miasm, you might see in the family history, there's a strong like um, dark depression, history of suicide, um, bipolar, schizophrenia. It's heavy mental health type conditions that come down family lines. I think we all know there is like a bit of a switch. Like when you're looking at family lines, you can see there's a tendency with people. They also have a lot of autoimmunity. So whether it's um, like Hashimoto's, Graves disease, arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis is very common. And it's like the body is attacking itself. Fibromyalgia, um, a real degeneration of the immune system in many ways. So these are the children who are born and who are extremely sick sort of from the moment they're born. It's like their immune system was already compromised. We know it wasn't the child. It wasn't anything that happened in their life. It was no trauma. If it happened from the get-go, we know that this is an inherited tendency. We want to be looking at the parents' lives. What happened in pregnancy? What's, you know, the parents' health like, their health history, um, and piecing that together. Now, when you give the child who has inherited that tendency, the remedy that suits their family picture, you see remarkable things happen um, and healing just really gets triggered. And the whole point of homeopathy is to trigger that self-healing mechanism to get you back into alignment. 
Can you go into a little more detail as to how um, repressed stored trauma in the body can cause disease? I think it's one of the probably like kindergarten level of healing. People should understand that whatever, you know, for vibration, vibrating beings and a part of you is like, you know, injured and not vibrating like the rest of your body that causes some issues. So I wanted you to go into that. How does stored trauma cause disease? Why does it cause disease? And why does the medicine, medical industry constantly ignore that reality? Um, Yeah, absolutely. So the metaphysical underpinnings of, you know, the energetic, so a trauma, a lot of us know that stress can be a procedure to disease. We know that, you know, certain, um, you know, stresses can. It's interesting, even in things like cancer, cancer diagnosis, you've got two elements. One, the inherited tendency of cancer, the woman, the person's body will be in overdrive, overproliferation. The cells are dividing without boundaries. It's like totally off. Very, very often though, there is a strong mental and emotional picture for people with cancer, whether it is a deep resentment, um, you know, a lot of people who end up with cancer have sort of been treated like a doormat for far too long. They've not spoken up for themselves. They've sort of almost been in an abusive type of relationship and they end up with cancer. I'd say there's sort of the three main things, either a full-on toxic overload that can cause disease in regards to distorting the energy and therefore the pathology. And then the mental and emotional traumas, a big shock to your system is enough to, uh, yeah, just create disease pathology through a distortion in that energy. So it is it is remarkable the way it works. But, you know, we look at the victims, let's say, of abuse and how dysfunction tends to come into those organs it makes sense. There's just all of that energy is stuck there and it starts to come up as symptoms. The body's saying, hey, there's an issue here. Um, same with women with the thyroid. They can be women who like, you know, and I used to think this was such an, an aloof, like metaphysical thing that, you know, I didn't really put much stock in. And then after five years of taking cases back to back, I'm like, well, absolutely something to it. But for the women who are suppressed and cannot like speak up to ultimately end up with thyroid dysfunction is extremely common. And it's like blocked energy, you know, in, in acupuncture, we see it blocked meridians result in disease pathology. And so it's just blockages in the body and the, the symptoms are the body's way of trying to sort of um, you know, show you that there is an issue there. But the problem is that these days is that we're not equipped with the tools to move that energy out. I mean, more people are finding ways, whether that is breath work can move energy. Homeopathy is one of the most powerful ways to move energy. But yeah, people just aren't really aware. So then when we're also talking about the inherited energy, let's say that tendency towards rheumatoid arthritis or the heavy mental and emotional, like depression, bipolar, schizophrenia. We we really need to be able to move that energy out so that it doesn't affect um, the children down the line. And homeopathy is where I would say it is the most powerful way to do that. Um, I don't think any sort of meditation is stronger, even though I love all of, like prayer, meditation, breath work, all of this is like amazing stuff for people to be doing every day. But still, I have seen nothing that is on par with homeopathy. I'm sure you know some of the history behind, like why has it been so suppressed? Why is your healing techniques and homeopathy been so suppressed? Why is big pharma taking the opposite approach? It seems like there's some kind of war on our health that, you know, (laughs) if there is a, I believe there is a demonic force at play in the world. That's my belief. And I think that they have good control over health and big pharma. So my question is like, what's the history of, of homeopathy in the sense of when did it become completely discarded from the mainstream health world? And why has big pharma for so long taken the complete opposite approach to what you're talking about? Yeah. So when we go back only, you know, 200 years ago in the U S alone, you guys had over 100 homeopathic hospitals. So these were hospitals, massive wards upon wards where you used only homeopathic medicine to heal. That was for scarlet fever, Spanish flu, cholera, all of these like really quite deadly pandemics. And if you compare the statistics of success from those homeopathic hospitals to the mainstream allopathic established medicine back then, it is very unambiguous, unambiguous 
as to who was more successful, where the mortality rates were lower, and that was in the homeopathic hospitals. Now, J.D. Rockefeller, most people would consider to be the father of modern medicine. He sort of realised petrochemical drugs could be used as medicine. So here is a man who very often praised homeopathy. He and his family had three private homeopaths just for the Rockefeller family alone. And yet when push came to shove, he ended up sort of donating money to universities and saying, if you only teach this curriculum and you get rid of all of the homeopathic studies, if you refuse to let, you know, people study it here anymore, we'll give you these millions of dollars. And it just becomes a big financial game. Um, Because back then we have to remember too, the homeopaths weren't, you know, people like me who just trained in homeopathy. They were all doctors first, almost every single one of them unanimously. They were trained physicians who saw the power of homeopathy. They found it superior. They completely switched sides, even at a loss of, you know, money and, um, you know, esteem considered. But they, they were very well known. And it was very interesting that during the epidemics of the day back then, they had lines of people circulating around their house wanting to get homeopathic medicines to protect them from things like scarlet fever, Spanish flu, um, whatever it were in that day. So homeopathy used to be much, uh, you know, it was very established. You know, you guys have your statues at Washington, D.C., you know, those like the memorials, those sort of things. There's only one doctor who has a statue there, only one physician ever, and that is the father of homeopathy, and that's Samuel Hahnemann. So he was like loved by the presidents. The presidents used homeopathy, a lot of like the monarchy, the Queen of England, um, Queen Elizabeth II, she says, you know, every time she would never travel without her homeopathic first aid kit. They have their own private homeopaths. So you sort of have to ask yourself, why do the richest people in the world have homeopaths? And yet worldwide, it's just completely squashed. And it's not just, it's not just that they um, don't promote it. It's they actively seek. So the Australian government's sort of like in like lawsuits at the moment because the corruption is so bad in regards to hiding data, um, cherry picking and just really blatant corruption. So it's, yeah, it's definitely like a war, a war on health, I guess a war on truth because what happens if everybody is like spiritually strong? What happens if everybody is healthy? Well, we talk about like a loss of million, like we're talking billions, you know, if not trillions of dollars lost. Um which is unfortunate, but what's really interesting, and I'm sure you know and feel this, is that the public sort of like the collective consciousness, it is raising so quickly that nobody could sort of like keep a thumb on it. Like you can't keep a lid on it anymore. My success in the last two years is so far beyond what I would ever, ever have dreamed of. And it's because people realise now we are spiritual. We can't treat our bodies like machines. We're not broken machines. And if we continue down the trajectory that pharma has had people on, uh, that's where we get to 2045 and men have zero sperm. That's the end of the human race. I don't know, you know, why people don't take that more seriously. It's it's very serious. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I, it's the reason why I do what I do. I mean, I've, I've told the story over and over again to my listeners. So apologies, listeners, but just to inform you of what my story is that um, I, I was a case of I'm, I'm diagnosed whatever bipolar means, all the mental d- diagnosis. And I was put on somewhere between eight and 12 psychiatric medications at, at once. And I was for two years, I was a, a numb robot who was incredibly suicidal and basically a, a legal drug addict. And I, I fully got to a place where I was fully possessed in many ways. And from there, I went straight to um, natural healing and medicine and everything just shifted and shut out to the better. So it's right. that that's what motivation you want to do is that, and why I'm so curious and talk yeah. to you and so passionate about what you're saying is that the common shamans or healers that are used in today's day and age, which is a doctrine in a Western world, they're killers. I mean, that it may sound judgmental, but it's like um, they're, they're taking the average person and, and absolutely butchering their, their soul in many ways. How, how does that work? Why, why, why does that happen? Why, when someone goes in for depression or a mental disorder and they give them, you know, Lexapro, SSRI or uh, Adderall or things that increase GABA or dopamine or serotonin, why is that not the way to heal? Why did I experience what I experienced so, so drastically? Hey there, I'm going to give you a break to digest all of this amazing information. 
And in this break, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. Ultimately, uh, it's not acknowledging the divine intelligence within you, knowing that whatever the, the symptoms, and they're just symptoms of bipolar. I hate like these labels that yeah, they of course, stuck yeah. on people. Yeah, people who are not like you, who actually walk around with that label for the rest of their life and it actually negatively impacts them. But um, they do not acknowledge like the divine, like spirit within a human body. It's just a symptom and symptoms can be removed. The human being can be recalibrated and they can be vibrant and healthy. So um, in regards to the way to heal, um, Hippocrates, most people have heard of Hippocrates and he's sort of considered the father of medicine. Now, if you go into modern medicine, you have to take the Hippocratic Oath and part of that is to do no harm, ironically. But um, Hippocrates was very, very wise and intelligent. So he's around 400 BC and he is saying there are two laws of cure, the law of opposites and the law of similars. Now, the law of opposites it will save you in an emergency situation. So what is the law of opposites? It is, okay, you roll your ankle, the body starts to swell. We're going to take this like, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, we're going to get that inflammation down. You know, if you have a heart attack, you want to like take those meds and really quickly dilate those blood vessels so that, you know, the person doesn't go into full cardiac arrest and die. Now, the law of opposites in sort of emergency, acute trauma medicine, you chop an arm off in a car accident, you want all of the law of opposites, you know, employed there, stop the bleeding, just slow everything down. That will save your life. The problem is, is that Western medicine has taken the law of opposites and that's all they operate from and they do it for everything. You got a fever, suppress it, stop it, even though the fever is a beneficial immune response. You got eczema coming up, suppress it, use steroids. They're completely just cutting off our organism's expression. Oh, on and on and on it goes. They never stop. They are relentless in just trying to suppress it and palliate it. Now, the problem is that that ends up with much more destructive disease processes. They drive the disease process inward and it just gets worse and worse. Now, the law of similars that Hippocrates was talking about is what we were saying homeopathy is based on. So Hippocrates was pretty much like talking about homeopathy in terms of a small dose of a similar medicine will cure. Now, this is like we were saying with arsenicum and arsenic. The person who is vomiting and has diarrhea can use a tiny dose of a similar medicine and you will cure the condition. What we really should be aiming to do in future is keep homeopathy for all chronic conditions, support the human organism from within, grow strong, resilient, robust, observe, you know, how that works and keep the law of opposites for the hospitals, for the emergency trauma care, your car accidents, your life-saving surgeries, leave that to them, but the rest of it, they're no good at. Chronic disease, they, the reason that people get sicker is because they are approaching disease entirely wrong. It is literally like you can't heal with that. It's wrong. It's wrong philosophy. It's wrong doctrine. It's toxic. It's a completely inappropriate system for all chronic health issues in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. What do you think is going on? And out of curiosity for your, your take on this, what do you think is going on in, in doctors' minds, right? Like they're, they're repeatedly killing their patients and nothing's working to the degree it should, but they're still convinced in their mind that they're doing the right thing. It's like some, is it as simple as calling mm-hmm. it some, some, you know, brain, brainwashing tactics from the DSM and, and uh, the education system that, that only makes the manuals based off profits for pharmaceutical companies? Like what do you think is keeping doctors, the, the millions of them across the world, in this perceptual prison that they believe this is what's healing people. Mm. It's interesting. People always ask me because my dad's a doctor, like, oh, how does that, how the conversations go between you two? And I think there's a difference between the doctors. There are some who are so like arrogant and um, they, oh gosh, they're the worst. You've seen them come out of the woodworks the last couple of years and they're really arrogant. They really think they've got it all figured out. But um, there are some who are really just, ignorant and they sort of think because they don't have knowledge because they were never trained in the tools say for example that that I'm aware of when it comes to let's say something like fertility they honestly think that like sorry they actually think IVF is your only option and when that fails they're like I'm so sorry your body isn't responding we just have to do this again they don't actually realize a lot of them so there's a whole range of like on that spectrum with doctors 
Some just don't know. Some are too lazy to pull their head out of the sand and actually figure it out. I think a lot of them should have a gut feeling that, hey, something's really wrong here, but it's as if we're already so stuck in this broken system, right? In Australia, the average doctor gets seven minutes with a patient, seven minutes to try and gauge what is going on with you in your life. How can I help you? It is just, you can imagine, and that's including the time to write a script. So to the homeopath, it's like we spend 90 minutes minimum with someone, minimum, because I need to know everything that's going on in your life because, you know, the symptoms that you're expressing could be appropriate. It might be, you know, who knows what. I need to play detective and figure out what is actually going on in your body. Um, And so a lot of people are just going along with a broken system because, I think in their minds, they've almost given up and they think this is as good as it gets. Or a lot of doctors I know, they realise the corruption of pharma the last couple of years have made it clear to a lot of doctors that, oh gosh, something is really not right here. And I feel pretty uncomfortable, but I also don't know what to do about it. And like, what do I do? Throw away this like massive, you know, income to start again. And, you know, a lot of people are. But it depends, again, on their spiritual health. Like a strong person in their spirit would never be able to bend over for the government in that way. And I think it is a good sign of like a good, strong spirit if a person can look at this world and say, you know what, that's not actually right, but I'm not going to give up because I have this strong, like hope-filled, like strong spirit that says everything's going to be all right and I'm going to get on my path and I'm going to help create something that is better um, that's, that's the way I see it. No, I, I agree. That was me during, during COVID. I was like, there's, there's no way I'm getting this shot wearing a mask. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I think there, there's some level of, um, spiritual strength. It's an interesting concept. What do you think dictates spiritual strength? How, how would one cultivate a strong spirit? What does that mean exactly? A strong spirit? Yeah, I I mean, it's a multifaceted answer, but I can say that people who are really suppressed with a lot of toxic things, I don't know if you know Rudolf Steiner, but anyway, you know, where they talk about, yeah, all of the toxicity that's put in the body and the ways in which it will sort of separate the spirit, the soul of a man, I do believe that. From my clinical experience, people can be so suppressed, their organism can be so out of balance that they can start to manifest and do all these sorts of broken behaviours that a strong, healthy spirit wouldn't do. And once they are restored to balance, you see like a a much more, you know, better functioning human organism and strong spirit. So in regards, it's funny that some people seem to just have it within them. And I I sometimes wonder, Mm. is it sort of preordained before they were born? Like, you know, that was just the the path that was going to be carved out to them. But I think being connected to nature makes a strong spirit because we are part of nature. So that is a very big, you know, um, raising there. Then um, homeopathy, I see people, it's it's once those traumas are lifted off and cleared, it's these layers that do not serve us. Once they are gone, the spirit rises again. Um, and it's as if the spirit is no longer bound. I would say every single human being, whether you're like a drug addict um, and you're doing sort of like, you know, these more self-deprecating, you know, things, whether you're doing like an armed hold-up to get money for drugs, whatever. The spirit is still within you. It is just bound up in all of this trauma, in this addiction, the chemical addiction, all of the things that you're doing. Every person has the the ability to sort of break through that human spirit and let it raise. So then I also think that prayer, um, a a good um, faith life is important for people. And, you know, I think that's just something that, yeah, you build and can cultivate, but some people just have it, you know. Yeah. Just always had this like feeling within me, just strong, strong faith. And in what, you know, it's just I agree. I agree. So in that I think it, it can I've in my experience it's like split. I think some most a lot of people who are like you and I, I don't mean that egoistically, but they they came with it, right? And what my experience was was that I, I experienced the complete opposite in addiction, drugs, the worst things you can imagine that that was so heavy that I had to bring it out of me. Like it, it was like I hit rock bottom so hard that I had to cultivate it in, in, inside of me. Why I'm, why I'm saying that is that a lot of people who are finding their spirit, they have to clear all the obstructions, right? They clear all the, all the trauma, the health stuff affecting that. So what, what's the line in allowing sickness to occur and experience it, right? Like allowing the body to do what it does and finding healing. What, what's that line? Like when do we know, okay, 
I've been experiencing the stomach thing. I'm experiencing this, this, this heaviness. I need to heal it with homeopathy. And when's the line to be like, you know what? I should probably just sit with this for a week or two to allow my body to, to run it through. What, what's the line there? Mm. It really depends on the individual. And mm-hmm. I mean, when we even look even bigger, even outside of like just the health things, it's like when you look back at your life, I'm pretty sure you would say you would not change like hitting rock bottom right? Because you would never have gotten to where you are now had you not experienced it. And sometimes the same goes for health. And it's like, it's the journey. Like some people struggle with infertility for so long that, you know, it's like this rock, rock bottom, but the lessons that people learn in that. And then when they elevate and like health is returned, it's, there is such a blessing even in those rock bottoms and the struggles. And it's, it almost is, it's like that sort of part of the spiritual lesson as well. And so when, where that line is for like, when should I actually seek help? When do I want to, you know, raise up? Because I'm not somebody who believes that, you know, eternal suffering, you know, suffering ongoing is like, oh, it's a good thing. It's good for you. No, I think we've come to have life and have life in the full, but upon looking back with all of my patients, everyone of course is grateful for all of those rock bottom moments. So as for when to seek help, I think it is a spiritual matter of of that person, you know, their time and are they going to be able to cure their chronic health condition, you know, before it gets too pathological? Like, yeah, I guess it just depends on their life journey. And some things I think we do surrender to the unknown. Mm, I don't know. It's something that I ponder, definitely. Same here. We're getting getting close to it. In all your speaking, I, I notice, of course, there's some deep understanding of the quantum realm and how it affects our our lives the question i have is is how do you use your knowledge of the quantum realm to benefit your life what are some tips and and, and mindsets you have in hacking this quantum world to have the life you want to live yeah okay that's actually probably my favorite subject on earth and so even in my courses (laughs) same here teach it's yeah yeah and it's and it's because i have used it i'm sure you have too that we look and it's easier to teach it to other people too and to manifest things in different areas of our life because some things come easily. But let's say like what, how do I use it? In business, definitely. Like the level of business success that I've achieved. So I had three kids sort of back to back and then I said to my husband, you know what, I think I can really work as a homeopath and um, if you want to switch over and you watch the kids and I'll like create something good. And luckily he just trusts me. And so he left this really high paying job and everyone around us is like, are you guys crazy? Like that is so crazy. And now like what I have created, people like holy guacamole. And it's like, it is of course taking the feeling of what it is, just that knowing of like, yes, that's what I'm going to create. That's what I want. I see it in my mind's eye. And it is the feeling of it. Now, it's interesting because so many manifestation people out there, they talk about, you know, just feel it. And people are, you know, they're saying it, they're visualizing it, and they're really trying to embody it. Now, in my opinion, if they have a homeopathic block there, like where you can use a remedy to remove that layer, then you see it come in. So you see this in relationships. So when we talk about business and financial success and all of that, that comes easily, very easily to me. And also down my family lines, if you, it's like entrepreneurs, it's like, that's in my blood. So I inherited a certain level of energy around that. And just that belief that like, of course, that's going to be very successful. But relationships is where historically my family has struggled and where I have had to try a lot harder with my quantum, you know, um, like really bringing into my life what I want. It's in relationships, absolutely. And it has been a lesson. I can tell you that. Um, but give, give me give me the rundown. I'm curious. How, how did you go? How did you go from where were you in relationships? Like, how was it not great? And how did what did you do? in yourself and hack the quantum field to get to a healthy marriage, I assume now. Sure. So my parents have been divorced six times. So my mom's been divorced four times. My dad's been divorced twice. So I saw a lot of heartache growing up. Um, And in particular, I had one stepdad that I really loved. So he was with me from when I was about three years old until I was about 12. Um, And then it was a very sudden breakup that I was not expecting. And he was like this stable, beautiful, he was like a really high level police officer. And I just loved him. So 
when they said that they were breaking up, it was like this shock to my system. My energetic field copped such a blow that as a 12-year-old, I never even realized. I completely suppressed that down. I'm like, whatever. I'm school captain. I've got my friends. Okay. Like my stepdad, I'm like, he's not even my real dad. And he's like going now. Okay. I miss him a little bit, but I really never gave it much thought. And it wasn't until I'm like growing up, I had one high school boyfriend and he was like sweet. But um, then after a couple of years, we broke up. But it was after that point where I was a vibrational mismatch from every single person who came into my life for like the next eight years. So we are talking And I was somebody who always wanted to settle down and have kids like really early. I'm pretty sure from like 18, I'm like, where is he? You know, looking everywhere. So like I was pathologically seeking it out. Now, any person that I was attracted to was just like, no, not interested. Every person who was really attracted to me or wanted to be with me, I was like, oh, no. And it wasn't until after, honestly, like seven or eight years of this where I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is really not normal that, you know, how it's just constant. And my mom like said to me at one point, she's like, I'm so confused. She's like, this person is like just perfect on paper. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like repulsed by him. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I'm like, okay, this is like an energetic issue with me. And now when you look at it, it's like heart was broken as a child. I'm very scared of commitment because commitment means I might fail at it. I've seen lots of failed marriages and a lot of like heartbreak. Um, So fear of rejection, fear of commitment, it all sort of played into it. Now, I was walking around like this lake one morning and as I'm I'm contemplating it and I'm studying homeopathy at the time and we'd started to learn about these remedies and one in particular, it's called lycopodium. And um, it's like, you know, fear of commitment, um, you know, internal, like, you know, yeah, just fear of rejection. And I was like, oh gosh, that's like totally me. And so I took that when I was at uni, we were in student clinic and I just took a dose of it and I'm walking around the lake and it I literally felt, it's like I could just observe in my own pattern of behaviour, right, Melissa, you are holding yourself back from what you are saying that you so desperately want because like, yep, you're scared it's going to fail. You're scared you're going to be rejected. And in some part of my mind, I had really gotten to the point of thinking that I had to be perfect before I would let myself settle down with someone else because it's like, you know, you just think I've just got to be perfect so that it doesn't break down and I don't end up divorced. And um, then I was like, that's ridiculous because all of the men that I'm attracted to aren't perfect and I still feel like I really love them. Like that's just a ridiculous thing. Why would I hold myself back from that? And I felt in my vibration the shift in that moment. It's like a clicking, you know, and you're like, oh gosh, I met my husband the next day. So this is from eight years of pathological mismatch to like meeting him and seeing him. We actually, we started talking the next day. We met a couple of days later, but And just seeing him and just being like, yeah, that's it. That's the one. So when we talk about vibration and how quickly, you know, God or or however people want to see it, the source, our creator can bring into our life. It's just code. I had this broken code that I was running, this pattern. And as soon as I recognized it, I was able to recode it. And my husband came in immediately after eight years. So... It's those sorts of things. And then you, I see this with patients all the time. They, they get out of the dodgy relationship and they can actually recalibrate, find a new one. They get the job offer. You know, someone just calls them out of the blue and says like, hey, come here. And it's it's all vibrational at its core. And it, if you want to know what vibration am I putting out, well, you just have to look at what have you created? What are the patterns that are going on around you? And that's not to say that every single thing that happens in life is the result. In my opinion, it's not necessarily. It's, I more look for the patterns. What is the repeated issue here? Life still happens. We're still here to learn. But if you are someone who says my boyfriend always cheats on me, if you are someone who's like, I always get sick, X, Y, Z, you, you want to look for the patterns, I think. Yeah. So you're pointing to two things and I'm curious about the second one. The first one is to have some sort of, um, subconscious awareness over the what's actually occurring like what what, what pattern you're in your upbringing your family dynamic is causing the behavior that's one level and then the part where i'm more curious on my my brain still can't fully comprehend correctly which is probably the piece i'm missing in my own journey i'm very good at at accessing my own subconscious and pulling out things and also pulling out other people that's why i interview people i can see into them and pull out these limiting beliefs and stuff but the recoding stuff is still my brain isn't exactly like 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 hitting so 
what do you exactly mean when you say that? Is it is it just a, a homeopathic remedy? Is it, is it just a remedy during the recoding? Like when you have that issue, it's a combination of saying, okay, I have the awareness of the wounding, and then the the remedy on top of that is the final push. Like is that what you're alluding alluding to? Yeah. So in my experience, some people can tap into the recoding, like if they do deep meditation, you know, Joe Dispenza, like he definitely has people who are able to recode during that. What I would say is they are the more rare. And so I've got a lot of patients who come in and they'll say to me, yep, I've got all this stuff going on in my body and I know the traumas, right? They're like, but I've dealt with it. I'm okay with it. I forgive the past and I get it and I understand and I don't need to hold on to it, but my body's not letting it go. This is where you're looking at the vibration is on a cellular level. It's very deep rooted in the body. And this is where that remedy mirrored up to me. And it's sometimes the conscious awareness, in my opinion, is not enough. It needs that vibrational budge to actually get it up and out. And so this is why with so many of my patients, they'll email me after they start their remedies and they say, oh my gosh, you won't believe I am dreaming about, I'm having all these memories flooding out about, you know, when my parents divorced when I was 10 years old and they're like, I never would have thought that my body was holding on to it. The thing with homeopathy is it often it purges things yeah. up to the surface. So people might dream about it, they'll have memories or they'll be crying about it. People get very emotional and they're just like, I, I thought that I had dealt with this. And the truth is they have a lot of it and consciously, but depending on the extent of the trauma and the susceptibility of the person, you know, some people they absorb things a lot easier than others. And, you know, you can have siblings who are raised in the same household and different things will affect, you know, we all have different trials and tribulations. Anyway, the body can absorb it quite deeply. So I do think that homeopathy is the missing key for so many people who are aware of the issue but need help actually recalibrating it. How how does a diagnostic work? That's another piece of my curiosity is that do you have specific tinctures for abandonment like is it actually emotional tinctures or is it yeah. just physical so uh, can you unpack that like are, how would you concoct an elixir yeah. for someone who has an abandonment wound like uh, it seems like a i believe it just so like mind perplexing that i'm just i'm, I'm, I'm fascinated for sure if you were to look through the homeopathic materia medicus so these are like massive books that all of those doctors who started homeopathy they worked on relentlessly um they are the most incredible um compilations of the physicals, the mentals, and the emotionals that tie into each remedy picture. So let's look at a remedy like natrum muriaticum. So often there is a history of some sort of grief, whether it's like, let's pretend it's a divorce or a bad breakup. The person just suppresses that grief, they get on with it, but they sort of harden their heart a little bit and it is hard to be vulnerable and let other people in. So oftentimes, you know, they won't be quick to get into a relationship because they're a bit more withdrawn, even though it's funny because the Natmer often pines over wanting that romantic, like whimsical relationship. So on the mental and emotional side, there's a history of suppressed grief, but the physical things that you will see in the Natmer examples, um, they often have issues with fluid imbalance. They can be prone to cold sores. They often have like a split in their lip. They natmers they crave salt um they will be the people who say i feel so much better when i am by the beach and it is it is a distinct very obvious like i feel overwhelmed like i've got to be near the water now you can see with the salt the fluid balance they're craving the salt all of that ties into it now natmer is made with table salt um, so the, the frequency and the vibration of this natural occurring substance in nature when used to stimulate that human body, not only can we, you know, do things like regulate a woman's menstrual cycle, get rid of period pain, the fluid balance, um, you know, all of those sort of physical things that we use Nat Mer from, but when she takes it, she's going to have that grief come back up to the surface. She's going to have to process it properly and then she'll be able to like sort of unblock her heart and all of the defense mechanisms that she has put in there, that fear of rejection, and she'll actually be able to connect with people um, and, you know, partners and stuff like that. So with every remedy and we have, there's only really like, I would say a hundred homeopathic remedies that I use every day in clinic that you want to know inside out and back to front. Most people fit within the profile of one of those remedies. So I don't know, you wouldn't remember what you were given as a child. I have no idea. All I remember is there's like these, these like sweet, these like sweet little balls I put under my tongue. 
That's yep. what I remember. Yeah, so with those little pellets, they're sugar pellets, but they have the coating of the liquid stock around the outside, so it's a tiny little dose. That is enough to stimulate your healing mechanism um, within you, your vital force. But, yeah, so they would have matched to you. They would have taken all of your symptoms. They would have asked your mum about her health, your dad, um, mentally and emotionally, you know, what sort of child were you? Were you really chilled? Did you have night terrors? Did you ever have growing pains? These are all little things, and they seem obscure to the doctor. They would never think to ask. I think, why would that matter? Yeah. It matters. It's a reflection of your spirit, your energy, all of it, your craving your thermals, whether you're a hot-blooded man or a cold-blooded. Some men like really feel the cold, some men are hot. It's all an indication of your energy. So you want to match it all up. Yeah, where my mind goes and, and to proving what you're saying is completely correct is that is you touch upon on that point is that homeopathic remedies stimulate healing, right? If you give someone a pellet to heal their grief, they're going to feel the grief. If they give them a pellet to heal their gut, they're going to feel whatever trauma is causing the gut imbalance. In, in contrast, the pharmaceuticals, they give you numb it. Right, they give you pills to numb the pain to keep it suppressed. Just that point right there logically points to validity in what you're saying is that your, the medicine you're using creates healing. The medicine that the pharmaceutical yeah. industry is creating is causing numbing. Is that is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. And and this is why they drive disease pathology deeper because, like you know, thing, the the more that you suppress things, the more insidious they get inside us. The body's trying to like get it out for a reason. Um, yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, let's say like their IBS, if you go to a doctor these days and you say, I've got irritable bowel syndrome, they will often now be looking to put you on an antidepressant because they acknowledge that it is the mind and the link to the gut, which is causing, you know, you to be intolerant to gluten, intolerant to, you know, lactose, all these things. And they're saying, right, go and, you know, take this to sort of suppress your mind a little bit so that you're your stomach, you know, and all of that, your intestines can relax. The homeopath has said this for 200 years. The thing is, we just don't need toxic drugs to suppress it. We just need to reintegrate like your body so that like you're not hyped up and sort of hypervigilant and your gut can relax and digest things again. But yeah, absolutely right. They numb and suppress everything. In your experience as a practitioner, what's the most common human issue you, you notice that's causing us to be limited in our spiritual expression. Like what's the number one thing you can pinpoint in the average human being on earth today that's affecting their frequency? I think it comes in childhood and it is a disconnection from ourselves. Most people, we do not truly love and accept ourselves. And that can often come from like a parent who wasn't able to accept us, but often most of our parents don't truly love and connect to themselves. So they don't operate in their life from a position of that. We've never seen it modelled. We certainly didn't inherit the energetics of what it is to love and embody ourselves and to put ourselves first. And so I think that a lot of the childhood traumas, the perceived rejection um, from parents, very few parents these days are actually connected to their children. It's like they're there and they would do things for you, but like that loving, vulnerable, come here, let me you know, console you and love you and be there for you. A lot of that is missing for a lot of people. And so um, overall, as we get older, you know, the, I think the addictions, like the emotional eating, the drinking, it is all, we're disconnected from our own selves and we're disconnected from each other, I think is probably one of the most pressing, pressing issues. And there's a remedy for that. Exactly. There's a remedy, there's a remedy for that exact experience. It would look different for different people in terms of, and the way that you know, well, what remedy is it for them? Because there are a couple of remedies where it's like rejection, disconnection, and mm. these sorts of feelings. But your physical symptoms will tell me, okay, what is your energy distortion doing? You know, do you have asthma? Okay, well, that knocks out some of these remedies here. Uh, do you have eczema? Da, 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 da. And you're going to be trying to map the totality of the person. So, but absolutely, there are remedies to work on that. And ultimately, I think the highest order of healing is when people connect back into themselves. And it is an internal piece that just transcends everything else. And so, yes, of course, disease pathology fades away. Your gut starts to act properly. Your immune system 
is strengthened because you're finally at peace. I don't know that many people in this day and age are truly at peace in their own soul. And we look at, let's say, things like a drug addiction or being an alcoholic and people go, oh, well, they've got issues, right? But we hide it and a lot of people hide this disconnect and this restless, uneasy feeling with overworking, with going to the gym every day. If somebody says to me, like, if I don't go to the gym, oh, gosh, like I am really not myself. That's me. You call call (laughs) me out right now. That's me. You want to ask, is the driving factor a love of being at the gym and how it feels or what is it about not going? Do we feel like not good enough if we don't go? Do we feel fearful that our health is going to deteriorate? And you've got to look at the underlying like driving force, what are the reason? But um, And you can't paint everyone with a, a broad stroke because it's different. Our motivations are different, but there are a lot of people who are living in a way that is like very unharmonious, but because the things that they're addicted to, whether it's like biohacking and people who are eyes spiraling, some of those people are the most unhealthy people you that you I see. You call me out right now. That's me. I need to, I need to be called out. I, I mean, I'm, I'm that person. I'm, you know, I, ice bathing every morning with the gym every day. I'm eating like crazy clean. I'm, I'm doing everything, but there's still some sort of block. I'm still, I'm very aware of it. I'm still like running away from something internal that I need to process, but I, nothing I can do can um, clear it. So this is why it's so timely that I'm talking to you and having this conversation. Cause I've been praying and asking for, like, I feel like the next level of what I'm doing, my dreams is like here, but something is, isn't letting me get there. And it's something health wise. I've been asking, show me the way, show me what, what's stopping me. And then through this conversation, yeah. my whole mind and body is like binging on 10 levels. So I, I really appreciate yeah. it. Th- thank you so much for just personally for me, just hearing your, what you're saying, this is going to change my life. And anyone else listening, I think it's a blind spot in society. We need to, we need to pay attention to. So just thank you so much for, for speaking to all this and, dedication to it and where can people find you if they want to learn more about your your work so uh on instagram is probably where i do my most like explaining my videos where people learn the most so that's at that homeopath um we do do courses for people who want to learn and practice this um for themselves but yeah and so our website is rmdycollective.com and if people need a homeopath um which most people do because like what i've just run you through it's like you want the best detective on your case to really work out the pattern of your disease so seeing a homeopath and there's heaps of homeopaths in the us i've got a couple listed on my website who are brilliant but um yeah that's that's pretty much it cool great thank you so much again i appreciate it Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening.